You're listening to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. On today's episode, Matt and I interview Rob and Emma, who just got back from Cuba. They tell us all about their experience there, worshiping with the Cuban church, and how they saw God move. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome back to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and I am here with lots of people. Let's have some introductions. Pat Reynolds. Emma Winchester. And... Rob Ulmer. <laughs> oh, Lord. Welcome, Rob. <laughs> That's Maggie's husband, for the record. In case you, you hadn't already heard him on the podcast, and my oh, Lord has to do with the fact that we're sharing a microphone. They are very cozy. <laughs> oh, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, anyway, we've uh, today we've had we've had Rob on the podcast before, but really, I think we're going to interview Rob and Emma. Yeah, they just got back from a ministry t- trip to Cuba, and so we thought it'd be really fun to uh, just talk to them about their experience, how they saw the Lord working during that time, and. Uh, I'm sad because I was originally supposed to be there. I was kind of bummed out that I I got sick right at the wrong time, so it didn't work out. But I was excited that Emma got to go, and um, Rob was one of the leaders that helped lead the trip. He was there for 10 days. Emma was there for five. Five days. Yeah. So we're excited to talk to you guys about your experience and how the Spirit is moving in Cuba. Yeah. It was an amazing trip. So what, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Let's just start with what what was what was one of your biggest impressions uh, as you started to experience ministry in Cuba? Well, uh, I just got back like a day and a half ago, so uh, I'm still kind of recuperating and debriefing in my in my brain all that happened. It was a lot. It was a big trip. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. Um, and I, I, I co-led the team with David Watson and he took, it's for an immersion trip for United students and, but also David goes to Stillwater and so he had a couple of us go with him as well, which was just powerful. Um, there is, I mean, it's kind of hard to say what one thing would be the most, I mean, there's so much, uh, the people were amazing. The, the way God moved was beautiful and powerful and uh, the culture was just so different and beautiful, but also there was so much poverty as well, which was striking. So, um, and but to see God move in the midst of the poverty, and, and I guess as I'm thinking, probably the most beautiful thing I saw was hope. You know, I saw hope, so and hunger for God that was so rich. Um, uh, it was it, it overwhelmed you uh, as a minister of the gospel so that was quite wonderful to see yeah and i think adding on to that like that presence of hope there was so much expectancy mm-hmm. anytime like people came together there was no one standing still you know it was constantly expectant of what god would do and um coming forward to dance or to praise or to to get low before the Lord or to receive prayer. There was no one who just kind of like complacently sat back in their chair and and didn't need anything from the Lord. Everyone knew how in need that they were. Yeah. For him. 
which we don't see very often here. Well, that's beautiful. And, and I mean, let's, can we talk about that more? I mean, what do, what do you think the, um, the significant sort of difference between having a knowledge of need is, um, like what is the fruit of that, the result of that? Well, I think very practically when you have nothing, you know, you realize how much you are desperate for a God who can provide everything, you know, and so having a physical lack, you know, they have learned how to live with little, you know, as Paul says, like, he learned how to be content with much and with little, and they have, they are so content with the little that they have because they have found everything life in Christ and I think that the physical kind of part of that is just so at play in the church yeah the church uh, was central to their lives Mm -hmm. is what I saw not only because it was a social place but even more so because it was a place where people gathered around God so that was quite powerful to see how um people not only wanted but they needed the church they needed christ and they needed his body we went to a church um havana central and where pastors guillermo and audria mighty um kind of lead that church and they are friends of Stillwater. uh david watson has, has brought them here uh, many times and um it was it was amazing to see them do ministry among their people and as emma said to see how um how hungry and needy people were for Jesus and how they expected him to feed them. They expected Jesus to feed their souls. Uh, they, they had no doubt that he would show up and move in their lives. So give us a, a flavor of what worship was like. I know you, you all were a part of a lot of worship services, ministry times during your time there in Cuba. And so for folks that haven't experienced uh, sort of spirit-filled worship in another culture like that, can you just kind of describe what that experience was like? What kind of, what happened during the time? What did you sense? Well, this was my first time worshiping um, in a, in a different culture. I've, I've been to churches in like Germany and Italy uh, I grew up Catholic, so I went to like, you know, I remember going to Rome and all of that. But this was my first time in really a, a Pentecostal setting. Um, the the church is an independent Methodist church, but there's a certainly a Pentecostal quality to the worship. Um, it's very exuberant. Um, lots of lots of dancing lots of singing lots of joy lots of expectation so we we worshiped in a couple of different places we worshiped in like a carport of one house we worshiped in and out in a garage of another house we worshiped in a church in the the, the central havana church um, but we went to different missions so um there's a couple different settings and ways that worship occurred, but they almost always all had some type of singing and, and dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they almost all had, a, uh, almost all like kind of moments of ministry and movements of the spirit. Um, and 
yeah, it, it was how all of that came together was wonderful. It was, it was like, it, sometimes it was definitely messy. Um, there was order to it. I don't want to say it was chaotic, uh, but definitely moments where in America, we'd be like, oh, this is dead air. We have to fill this somehow. Or, um, you know, there would be feedback and no one really seemed to care. They worked it out. Or, you know, just like, what are we doing now? I don't know. Let's, you know, it was, it was kind of, but it, there was an order to it as well. When you say dead air, you mean like a gap in flow of worship or something like that? Yeah. I mean, like like little things that if you're a pastor, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like like um, kind of like a moment, a moment ends. And instead of being worried about what the next thing is, uh, you know, the pastor might turn around to someone and talk about something. And we're just kind of, you know, as Americans, we're like waiting, what's the next thing? But yeah. they're kind of like, this is what they do. Like life is happening at the same time that worship is happening and they go together. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting too, like along along those lines, at least I've witnessed in the American church in, in some places, every minute is allotted during yeah. a worship service. Yeah. Every minute has a, a time for transition, a time for prayer, a time for this, a time for that. There is no second that goes wasted. And the interesting thing about worship in Cuba is one their services are hours long yeah so you know it's not like in the United States where we have three worship services and then then the sermon and then you know the response it's not like that at all you know you might be worshiping for well over two hours yeah and that is full of singing and dancing, like Rob said, and, and also ministry time, yeah. you know, like there are many moments, even before a word is proclaimed, that people are falling out in the spirit because mm-hmm. the presence of God is just so mm-hmm. tangible. Yeah. And so it isn't like, it isn't neat in the way that, that we often desire it to be. You know, yeah. but but it was powerful. It was powerful the amount of celebration that they do just about Jesus being alive. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that um, struck me from, I think it was something you said earlier, Emma, was how their sense of um, knowing their need, you know, created such an expectancy. And it occurred to me as I was listening to you that they... Um, that that changes your view of who God is, Mm -hmm. that he is a God who provides all things. And I feel like, for instance, when we do mission here domestically, encountering a sort of an entrenched sense of who God is and what God does and and what he provides is something that we often encounter. And um, so I'm just wondering if you had any, if that was something that ever, like, that you thought about, like these people have a vision of God that is different from what we've experienced. Yeah. So for example, on the spirit and truth weekends that we do in the church, oftentimes the Friday night service is titled cultivating a hunger for God. And I stepped off of the plane in Chiquiba and I was like, hunger is already cultivated here. Like it is already a part of the life and the values and the beliefs of Christians in Cuba there's no like needing to put a flame under someone to to get them to recognize their need everyone 
is raised in a way to believe that God will bless them, that he will give them all things, that that Jesus himself is everything for them. And so it's not like uh, it, it's just not passive at all in Cuba for Christianity and for their relationship with the Lord. And it is beautiful. Do you, I, I wonder if you, uh, either of you have a specific uh, story or testimony, whether it's a prayer encounter or something that you experienced in your time of ministry there that, that you could share just to encourage us. Yeah, there was a ton. Um, do you want to talk about the... You can go first. Well, I can go first. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was interesting. Well, one, they have a, a culture of honor there, which was fascinating, the way they honored um, uh, ministry leaders, the way they honored um, pastoral leaders, but also elders in the church, things that I think Americans might be weirded out about. I don't know. Um, but it was it was quite powerful. And to see the way they honored us, like that, that was very moving, actually, mm-hmm. um, how how hospitality was so huge. So that was one thing that I encountered that was very moving to me, the way that they made food for us, the way they served us, the way they respected us and honored us, not only in like the day-to-day life, but in the way they would introduce us. Um, It was definitely like, wow, I do not deserve this, you know, but they were very kind. So that was actually, in some way, that was a a big encounter for me to be honored in such a way. uh, Pastor Guillermo has this thing that he says, and I'm not going to say it right, but he he says, uh, like they serve lunch to their people and all this stuff, and, and he says, you know, it's free because uh, God gives himself to us freely, and so we give mm-hmm. freely, you know, and and so he they gave us honor freely, you know, it was yeah. really beautiful. Um, in, in terms of like, you know, in other ways during worship, I mean, there's a million ways that I saw God move in my in my own life um like i mean the the um they asked me to preach on the on they had a tuesday night service and i've never preached internationally with an interpreter at all and um that was very powerful um susanna kisker scott kisker's daughter was our interpreter Um, she did a phenomenal job but they were my gosh they were lively Mm-hmm. And uh, very lively. Actually, as a matter of fact, like I couldn't get through certain points of the sermon because there were some of them. Some of the, <laughs> I the, forgot about this. The younger men would just start yelling. Like as I would say something like, I don't remember, like uh, I preached on Song of Songs 5 where the lover comes knocking on the door of his beloved, but the beloved is too slow to get up. And so I talked about how we've got to be ready to open the door for Jesus and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And, and, you know, you say like, like Jesus is at the door and he's knocking, get ready for him. And all of a sudden you hear like these young men go, Santo, Santo, which means holy, holy, you know, just, Santo. They just yell yeah. it at the top of their lungs. And and I'm like, what is going on right now? I have no <laughs> clue what's happening. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and so I try to get through another point. Santo. Yeah. Like, so finally Guillermo explains to me that, oh, they're yelling Santo because they like the point you're making. Yell, and the word means holy, and they're just shouting it. So mm-hmm. I started shouting it with them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but then after that, like I felt the desire to call people forward to re- to if they wanted to go deeper with Jesus, they felt like they've been asleep but need to be awake. Um, so I 
I called people forward and people came forward and I started having prophetic words for people, um, praying over people. They're falling on the ground. They're shaking. They're crying. They're trembling. They're, all these things. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh. Uh, it's, like, it's like you're kind of watching yourself from outside and you see the power of God move in people's lives. Um, it was it was amazing to see, and they, and they, they yeah, they wanted more of Jesus. That was, you know, yeah. I mean, there's. <laughs> yeah, it did surprise me how at every time where there was ministry available, they took it. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah. they were nobody is ashamed to to walk forward and say, "I need prayer." Yeah, actually, that's right. That's a good word. No one was ashamed. Mm -hmm. They weren't ashamed to be weeping. They weren't ashamed to be on their knees. They weren't ashamed to fall. They weren't ashamed of anything. They weren't ashamed of their poverty. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, "I want Jesus. Mm -hmm. Give me Jesus." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah, in worship services, I mean, there's so so many encounters that, you know, we could talk about the people falling out, the people yeah. shaking, trembling. A lot of people, I mean, a lot of people don't have very much, um, like, people don't see that very much in the American church. And so even some of us who were there, you know, there are moments where we're just watching mm -hmm. because it's like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen God move before and not in a critical way, but in like a, Lord, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, what's going on right now? I want to encounter you in a, in a powerful way and, um, submit more to you, surrender more to you, that type of thing. And so it was very encouraging for us Americans too, you know, because we get to see something that we don't experience yeah. all the time. But uh, yeah, so the worship services was something that surprised me is that they have services almost every night of mm -hmm. the week. They have something going on at the church every single day and it all kind of accumulates to a Sunday morning where it's just like they are throwing a grand party mm -hmm. for Jesus mm -hmm. about Jesus, about his resurrection, which was amazing. And one of the nights, um, the young adults there, they call them the youth, the young adults there uh, host a prayer vigil. And this prayer vigil goes from 12 a.m. to 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. And all night long, they pray and worship and um, someone shares a word, someone, you know, it looks different each time. But every single week from Monday to Tuesday night, whether it's two people or whether it's 20 people, whether it's however many they sit and they pray for their church for their city for their country for their friends for their family they sit and they pray yeah and it wasn't it wasn't loud it no. wasn't crazy it wasn't anything flashy it wasn't anything like that at all but it was true worship mm -hmm. and true surrender and true devotion to the lord and that was probably the most moving thing for me because in the midst of my exhaustion, in the midst of, you know, I'm, I'm in a new place. I, you know, when you don't sleep as well and all that stuff. And yet there we are at midnight until 4.30 in the morning, just praying with these young adults who are so devoted and steadfast and faithful and have committed their whole lives to just be centered around Jesus and to serve his church and that was probably one of the most moving things, you know, just to be like, wow, you guys are real Christians up in here. <laughs> like you guys are doing the work. You guys are doing the work of, of intercession for yeah. this place. And that was humbling to see.
and that, that was powerful too because Emma gave her testimony and um, and they were really moved by it and it was awesome just to see that mm-hmm. I mean that was a it was a, I mean as I was watching you actually give your testimony and watching them listen and watching them respond it was amazing to be like here are t- here are here's one young adult and, and others from two different countries two different governments two different and yet here they are united in yeah. Christ and united in the story of salvation yeah right that would be the word that I would describe to you is it was so unifying and that was amazing to go there and to see that even though we're from different places we have different backgrounds we have different everything yeah we have everything in common because of Christ yeah. and they treat you as their own in yeah. that way there is no boundary it, it, that was beautiful mm-hmm. yeah so um was there um let me qualify this question i want to just say i know from having done international mission work and ministry that it's never it's not all roses right, it, right. it's messy yeah mm-hmm these are human beings who also sin, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's all that stuff. So that qualifying that recognizing that it is a real place with real people. What are some of the things that you felt like either you personally or just as Christians in general in the U S that we should learn from yeah. uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Cuba? Yeah. One of the things that I took away was that they do have such a busy schedule and they do a lot, but part of that is because, they have a a culture that's set up that way already meaning like they have uh they have a familial culture and the church can be central they move as a family they're always like in america we have we're a little more individualistic and our lives are taken away to so many different places because of the opportunities we have and the jobs we're able to have that they aren't able to have and so um, it's, it is very tempting at first to think, oh, oh, we should do all of that. But I realized right away, that's impossible to take that and move it here. Um, I, I think that, I mean, I did honestly, the vigil, I thought we could probably get away with that. You know, mm-hmm. like there, there's something to be said for, um, finding some way to do vigils, um, to be praying, doing spiritual warfare you know, um, looking for the Lord, uh, throughout the night. Um, because, you know, I was thinking about Methodist and Fetter Lane and all that, you know, was in my mind. Um, you know what? Dancing. Mm-hmm. Like we can have some dancing up in here. <laughs> and like, there's, there's these young girls who every week, you know, they put on this beautiful performance with like flags and uh, to worship music yeah. that, you know, sometimes we think, oh, that's wacky. Oh, it's whatever. But it was truly beautiful yeah. because it, it was their way of worshiping. Yeah. And that was like, that was one thing that I was like, we got to do that sometime. Yeah. You know, yeah. we got to give them opportunities to, yeah. to be children yeah. and to worship in that way. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, um, length of worship, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not saying we got to go four hours, but we could be okay with going a few, a little bit longer. Like there's, they're kind of like, you know what Sunday is? Sunday is the day we worship God. That's what we do. All day. All day. Yep. So on the last Sunday I was there, they had two services. We were there from nine to four, four thirty. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it was amazing. I, I really was, I was tired, but not tired. It was beautiful. So I think that we could allow for service to go a little bit longer, um, to give God a little bit more on Sunday. Um, I mean, there's probably other things to take away from it too, but. I just want to say that as you're saying this, which I agree, I, I, that all just sounds wonderful. There's no disagreement from me at all, but I'm thinking about all of the various, you know, like leadership tools that are out there for pastors, effective leading and things like that. And how, you know, like I'm, like I'm thinking about all of the pastors who subscribe to the three point sermon and the, mm-hmm. you know, what are the points of practicality and and what you're describing is not is not a worship service where people come and they say, um, Pastor, please demonstrate how God is useful to me. Yeah, what you're describing are people who understand that everything they have has been given to them by God and they make the offering back of what they have, which is their pure and unadulterated adoration, celebration, worship. And, and they do it until they have honored him. Mm -hmm. And that really is spectacular. Yeah. They never think that they've worshiped enough. Yeah. Ever. And it's like, it's never about productivity or efficiency or, or making the timeline. It's not about that. It is about a God who is worthy of worship. And what that, so like to answer your question, Matt, like something for me as a leader that I walked away with was I like felt a subtle correction from the Lord, a gentle correction that says, anytime you think that you're low enough, get lower. And not just in a, in a, but with your schedule, with your worship, with everything. Anytime that you think you've done enough, you know, you've worshiped enough, you've, you've given enough. Think again, you know, think again of what I've done for you. Think again of, of how much I've given you that you've taken for granted. I think the other thing I'm struck by is, is this notion of unity around God. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the same God. We're worshiping the same God here and we're worshiping so differently. And if God is truly who he says he is, then the, the conviction is unavoidable. Yeah. Like the, it just seems to me that for the American church, that this has to cause some level of examination. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think it's been my experience and my own conviction when I've worshipped in other international settings. I haven't been to Cuba, but in other places, um, in some slums in Mexico, and certainly in Kenya when I've been there a few times, it's when you worship with Christians in other parts of the world who have less by the standards that we often esteem in this country but have much in terms of the kingdom um there's a just a deep conviction within me about priorities about what real sacrifice actually looks like you know and um it did those kind of experiences in the past have left me sort of like i i've felt 
I remember journaling one time when I was in Kenya about understanding more fully why Jesus would say, blessed are the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, because having less physically really does in some way open you up to having more spiritually. And we become so, we find so many other ways to sort of numb ourselves and distract ourselves. And, you know, I've said before, like when I, worship services are in Kenya are, are similar in the times I've been there with just kind of all day, like Sunday's like a whole day affair. And the attitude that I perceived was like, like we're with our spiritual family in the presence of God Almighty. Like where else would we want to go? Yeah. Like what else why, would we do? <laughs> why would we leave that? Like what, why would we rush that? You know, like what's better than that, you know? And, you know, so often in my own experience, I'm just speaking out of conviction. Like there's times when I've been, you know, throughout my life at church where I'm like, okay, like, like what am I doing after this? Let's move on. You know, like, okay, this is nice. Like, but I have this, this, and this that I want to get done today. Mm-hmm. And my sense in that culture partly because there wasn't other things to to go and distract yourself with it's just this is the ultimate place to be you know with my spiritual family worshiping the lord mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and joy like they they this is where they find the maximum amount of joy yeah that's what I realized. So, like, it's not know. just sheer obligation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I, I've wa- I was watching them dance, you know, and a bunch of people, like, they, they rush the stage during a worship song to praise God, and they're, they're doing dances, different dance moves, and they're up there just dancing, and there's a group of guys up there, like, switching dance moves, you know, and all of it is to, to God. But I'm realizing, like, yeah, they don't go to the club. They go to the church, you know, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. like because that's where joy, because true joy comes from God, you yeah. know, and they look forward to that. Yeah. And when the doors are open, they're there. And you had another thing about this that was amazing was how intergenerational it all was. I'm up there in front. I'm exhausted. I'm sweating. There, there are these amazing Cuban men and women dancing, you know, they've got the moves and the steps. And there in front of me is like an 80 year old woman. And she is pacing faster than I am, mm-hmm. you know. And she's smiling at me. She's like, she's like, come on, you silly American, let's do this. Like she's just, <laughs> yeah. you know. I'm like, how are you keeping up? And the, just it's a whole bunch of them, and they're up there doing it. And it's, but then you have this 20 year old right next to her, and they're dancing with each other. You've got like 20 somethings as ushers. You've got like 50 somethings singing in the band, and they're all over the place. Yeah, they're one big family. And and you're right, Matt. Like. And there's little kids sleeping in the pews. Yes, in the midst sleeping. of this loud music. Or and there are little kids dancing too. Yeah. But it was all over. And they yeah. Cubans love loud music. Uh, David was actually joking with us. He was like, they don't turn it up to eleven. They go up to thirteen. Like it's yeah. they go beyond. It's basically it was loud. it's like if if the stereo could go up to 10 why would we only do it at 8 yeah. you know <laughs> yeah, like let's do it all the way all the way and it but it was amazing to see these little babies and and to also see parents of kids there hungering for god crying out for god wanting to be touched by the holy spirit too to and to know some of their stories throughout the week and to see them um and 
you know, I think uh, someone passed off a kid to Emma one day and yeah. she would, so she could go forward and get prayers. She was like, here's my baby. And you know, yeah. like she doesn't know Emma, but, but that's the, that's the way they roll. <laughs> that's just how it is. Yeah. We're, we're a family here, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it was, yeah. And, and what I was going to say was like, there's definitely sin. There's definitely issues in that culture too. You know, it's not perfect, but, um, but I feel like even in their, in their imperfection, they're there unashamed we we all need god yeah um and that was just a beautiful thing to see um i thought of what i thought of was the syrophoenician woman who is there before jesus and jesus like well you know i gotta give it to the the children first and she's like yeah but even we get the crumbs right like and jesus is like you have faith yeah so i'll give it to you first you know and that i just see like like these are people who are like well we're willing for just the crumbs and so Jesus gives them the whole meal. Well, I'm choked up. So that must mean it's the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, that has been our episode for today. And that's a lot to think about and meditate on. And we hope that you do so. And we hope that it blesses you. And um, remember to hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with a friend and we'll come back to you in the next conversation. Bye. 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 <laughs>